Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello guys and welcome back to the Simply Fit podcast. This is episode 6 and we are going to dive in in the normal fashion and today we're going to get started with a nutrition question. So the question that we're going to start with is this, do I need to meal prep to succeed with my nutrition? And that's a great question actually because it's actually one of the things that most trainers and coaches will see as the holy grail of nutrition planning and it's definitely valuable and it definitely can be extremely helpful but the short answer to this is no you can a hundred percent be very successful with your nutrition without having to meal prep and i'm sure there's a few people out there celebrating because as useful as it is i know people who some people just don't like leftovers and that's what they think of meal prep as and i've had kickback on this before so i know that I won't be, you know, speaking for just one or two people out there. I'm sure there's plenty of people who do that. But I will go through first why it would be really useful to have meal prep and then also talk about what you can do if you're not too keen on meal prepping. So the reason why it's going to be helpful is like when do you most often order takeaways? Like I'm going to use myself as a perfect example here. So it's like it's on a Thursday evening. It's on a Friday evening. It's on any, it doesn't really matter what evening it is, to be honest. It's more commonly at the end of the week when your energy is a little bit low, but generally there's nothing in the fridge in that evening time, right? You've just wrapped up work. It's 7, 8 p.m. You go into the fridge and you're like, oh, there's nothing here. The thought of going to the store, then coming back and cooking something, is it's just not going to happen. So that's where meal prep can come in handy, right? You if you're a busy person and you have busy days and you tend to not shop in advance and you don't have anything in the fridge, that's where it can be valuable. What about like, you know, the same scenario in that situation, if nothing was there, would you go to the supermarket at that time? 
Very unlikely. You know, I'm quite fortunate that I live in cities for the most part, so I do have supermarkets nearby, but sometimes when they're just downstairs or down the road, you know, after a long day, it's just not going to happen. And that's where, again, it's very, very invaluable. And let's take it one step further. Let's say you have an extremely late day at work, right? It's 9 p.m. and you do have food in the fridge. Do you really want to, you know, make your high protein meal at that time? Nope, it's going to be a takeaway. It's going to be something quick and easy. Or you might even just skip eating altogether and go to bed because you can't even be bothered. So that's why meal prep answers all of those questions. If there is a meal sitting there for you in the fridge, in all three scenarios, there's probably a 99% chance that you're going to grab that meal. And that's where it can be really valuable. Also, it saves time on your shopping. I know a lot of people like it for the fact that they don't have to almost think about what they have to buy from their food shop. They can literally, especially if it's an online order, they can just do a repeat order and get it to come every week because if they know they'll run out of fresh veg at this time, uh, fresh meat at this time, or whatever it is. So it can be really valuable from that front. And then also the time spent cooking. If you're someone who cooks like each meal during the day, potentially you're working from home at this moment in time and you spend what, even if it's a quick like 20 minute meal, you do three of those a day and maybe time spent looking for a snack, that's like an hour almost a day even, an hour and 10 minutes potentially. And then if you meal prep, of course, you just probably set aside, we'll talk about this in just a second, but you set aside two or three hours every, or probably probably even less, an hour and a half to two hours, maybe once or twice a week. So you win back a huge amount of time. So finally, the one final benefit I want to give to uh, meal prep as well is that when you do prep your own meals, the ratio of calories and macros is going to be far better if you're someone who regularly potentially works in the city and they might be going to Pret, they might be going to a cafe or whatever it is and you're grabbing a sandwich or an apple or even if it's trying you're trying to have the healthy option i guarantee you're going to have less food volume less protein and you'll probably pay a lot more as well so that's where meal prep can come in handy but there's also the other side of the spectrum where you might not want to, right? Let's say you have you go to a workplace, but you don't have any access to a microwave or anything where you can heat the food up. So it's going to be cold. And I've been there before where I've eaten lukewarm food and I've gotten used to it. But you know, if you can have a hot meal, you're going to have one. Number two is if you're a poor cook or you're just not someone who enjoys cooking, you're just not going to enjoy meal prepping. And you know, if that's an obstacle for you getting the right foods into your body, then, you know, we don't want to have any obstacles at all, like training and nutrition and getting it all together. You know, as for someone who's very new to it, it's hard enough as it is. The last thing you want to do is chuck on a new skill, which is cooking that they have to learn. If they're intrigued by it, fantastic. But if they're not, then, you know, you're actually going to run into a wall soon enough. The next thing, and this is going to sound like quite a first world problem, uh, but I had this as well. Like, I'm very much in favor of having glass lunchboxes over plastic lunch lunchboxes but if you have three of those lunchboxes in your bag which I used to when I was a one-to-one personal trainer my god does it get heavy right like once you have those heavy glass boxes and don't get me wrong a lot of those have smashed as well um, it's just a bit of a pain and you've always got to have these you know you've got to put them in your, your Tesco bag or your supermarket bag so you know that's a bit of a first world problem but there is pros and cons to both so that's the first thing to mention like 
if it works for you, fantastic. If it doesn't, now we're going to talk about, you know, what the most optimal way of doing meal prep is and also what you might want to do if it doesn't take your fancy as well. So if you are going to do it, my favorite approach is the batch cooking option and having a weekend day and a midweek day. Like you can do the seven day option where, you know, you cook everything on a Sunday, you uh, refrigerate the first like three days and you freeze the rest. Personally, like fridged food I can do, frozen fruit that's, that's defrosted, it's just not for me. And that's just a personal preference as well. So my favored approach would be Sunday, you prep up until Wednesday, and then Wednesday night, you prep it for the rest of the week, or vice versa, or a similar concept, or Saturday, Thursday, or whatever it is, you have an end of the week and a midweek, just so you make sure that you have three or four days in advance every time. That seems to be... Uh, one of the favorite approaches that I recommend to my clients and probably the easiest approach as well. The second option here is just to prepare the protein source. I'm actually more in favor of this one for myself personally. Like I quite like having like cooked chicken there, uh, cooked beef mints or whatever it is, and then cooking my veg, my carbs fresh. This can be a really good option for those who like to vary their carbohydrate sources, or once again, they just don't like having like reheated broccoli or anything like that so you just basically batch cook your chicken you batch cook your whatever it is your protein sauce and then obviously when it comes to time to eat you just prepare a salad separately you prepare your vegetables separately your rice your oats whatever it is and that can be a very good option as well and the final option i have for you here is the beginning of the week prep or the end of the week prep. So let's say you're someone who is super busy from Monday to Thursday, but actually your week is fairly front loaded and it starts to ease off towards the end of the week. So what your best option here is, is just to prepare all the foods for the days where you're just not gonna have time to cook. From Monday to Wednesday for me personally, it is quite favorable to have my foods ready and waiting. I probably could be better at meal prepping, but it would be because of those are the days I tend to be very, very busy and have a lot of work on. And it's just easy and convenient just to grab food. Whereas on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Thursday, then I'm actually okay to just cook, spend that time doing so. But on the flip side of that, if you're someone who, you know, potentially goes off track a lot on the weekend, then actually not preparing on Monday to Thursday, but doing it from like Friday, Saturday, Sunday can be very valuable as well to keep yourself on track during those weekend days. So that's kind of the meal prep options I would offer. I'm sure there's many more out there, but those are the three I would go to. If not, here are the big options and probably not spoken about quite as much. Option number one is to create go-to meals. Try and come up with like three to five meals that you can prepare super quickly or require minimal cooking. Like my personal ones are going to be an egg white omelette. What I love about this is if I put on the egg white omelette, I put it at a set heat, I literally can just leave it cooking, come back in five minutes or so, flip it, go away, like send another email or two, and then come back and it's pretty much done. That's a big one for me. Same with pre-cooked chicken. I have a pre-cooked chicken that you've made or pre-cooked chicken that you can pick up from like Tesco's or something like that. Rice cakes, then you don't have to cook. Salad again, just to add some veg or salad. That's a good one for me. Um, and just to come up with something along those lines that works for you. Yogurt or oats with protein powder mixed in. Very quick option that hits your macros as well. I mean, think of things that have protein in too because the carbs and fats, they can come so easily and come from anywhere. Second option is opt for convenience, right? Microwave rice. 
add, you know, those, uh, those oats where you only have to add boiled water, deli meats, cheeses, yogurts, things that re literally require very minimal preparation or literally zero cooking whatsoever. Find foods like that that work within your nutritional repertoire. The next option is the meal prep company option. You know, you, there are so many companies out there that actually offer foods that will hit your exact macros. The thing, the reason why I don't recommend this to my clients personally is that it's not sustainable. Like no one is gonna have, unless you've got a personal chef, your J-Lo, your Beyonce or Jay-Z, you're not gonna have a personal chef or anyone prepping your meals for the rest of your life. So you're just not gonna do that for five, six, 10 years. And realistically, it works for a short period of time and it might be something you want to do when you're busy or, you know, something that you just, maybe you do it on those busy days, Monday to Wednesday or something along those lines. But for me, it's not a sustainable option long term. The next option, I really like this one, it's make dinner times two. So on Monday night, you're cooking your evening meal, your high protein meal, make double of that and then save the rest for the next for lunch the next day. And you can do that pretty much every day. Then your Tuesday evening meal is your Wednesday lunch. Your Thursday, your Wednesday evening meal is your Thursday lunch. So either approach works. You've pretty much just got to pick the one that's most appealing for you, what works for your lifestyle. And there's no reason why you can't do a combo of the both. That's probably the place that I sit the most. I probably opt most of the time for like getting the protein sources prepared in advance, also doing the making dinner times two, um, but then I also have the go-to meals as well. So it really comes down to what works for your lifestyle, what allows you to save the most time, and what allows you to eat the best possible foods with the minimal possible fuss. Because, you know, there's plenty of people out there who enjoy cooking and enjoy making their foods as well. So, you know, the idea of actually just prepping it all, batching and putting it in lunchboxes might not work for you. So final closing statements, find what works for you and go for that approach. Don't be afraid to mix and match. That is the nutrition segment covered for today. And then we're going to dive into training. Do you think body parts splits are effective or more commonly known as bro splits? So just to give you some context, if this is quite slightly a new term for you, when I first started out and when most uh, young guys start out, they will often opt for a body part split. It will look something like this. Monday will be chest day. Tuesday will be back day. Wednesday will be leg day. Thursday will be shoulder day. Friday will be arm day. And if you're super hardcore, you might do like an abs, calves, and cardio on the weekend. Maybe even forearms if you're extra hardcore. So... That is pretty much what body's body part split looks like, and that's why we traditionally call it a bro split as well. If you're a female, it's probably along the lines of doing some form of legs and glutes every single day as well, or basically taking a really high-frequency body part workout from an influencer or something along those lines. And that's pretty much what a body part split is. More simply, it's, you know, you focus on one body part per session, essentially, right? So when we start out, you know, a lot of us, including myself, the training comes from very mainstream places, you know, articles, magazines, etc. Right. And we've also got to remember the workout, like the word workout and what goes into a workout. It's a very unprotected term. 
Like there may be some rationale like to certain workouts that come from magazines and articles and everything like that. But we've got to think about it. Like I could tell you that doing star jumps for 55 minutes and burpees for five minutes, I could call that a workout. Like I could literally make it up on the spot, right? So we've got to bear that in mind when we look and see the word workout. We can't just automatically assume there's rationale behind it because of like I said not a protected term but my thought process is the people who make these in the magazines and articles and stuff they basically want you to go away from that thinking I felt that and therefore it's effective right I wanted to puke and therefore it was effective I like felt like I, my arms were busting out of my t-shirt therefore it was effective but as we know these days just because you know you get soreness you feel wrecked after a workout does not equal an effective workout right like I said I could get you doing burpees for 30 minutes and trust me you would be sweating and it would be you know probably the worst 30 minutes of your life let's go back onto more traditionally bro splits as well because I think this would be a little bit more useful for context these workouts mostly were advertised that they came from bodybuilders right bodybuilders people who you know have been training for 15 20 years right who are on performance enhancing drugs they eat sleep and most of them are just caveat eat sleep and breathe training it's basically their job and let's give you a different bit of context here it's that if you were going to start sprinting would you take usain bolt's workout Probably not. So why would you take a bodybuilder's workout, right? But it does seem very appealing and I did it as well. You know, I did it for years and years and years. And the best analogy I've created for this and why I'm not the biggest fan of um, body part splits or bro splits is imagine you're filling up your car. And we're actually going to go into the context and the science behind why frequency is going to be more effective than volume per session. So just imagine you're filling up your car with petrol, gas, whatever you want to call it. You hear the click that it's full, right? You've pressed the button and it's click, it's full. Yet what you do is you kept pressing down on the handle to pump more fuel. It might feel like you're putting more gas into the car, but it's not getting any fuller. You're actually just wasting gas. It's probably coming out the side and you're just literally not making any good use of that fuel, AKA your actual energy and time. And that's the same approach to having a workout where you do six exercises or seven exercises for chest, six or seven exercises for your back, your shoulders, whatever it might be. So for me, it's a relatively inferior approach. And I think it can be effective in the initial stages because of new stimulus is always gonna be effective for the someone who's going into the gym for the first time. So pretty much whatever you do, you will, you know, reap some benefit from. But once you get a few years into your training, even one year into your training, then it's just probably not going to be the most effective approach. And we're actually far, far better off distributing our workload um, across the week. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. I'm going to back it up with a little bit of science and a study done by Brad Schoenfield, who does a lot of research in this area as well, who discovered that when training frequency was higher across the week, it produced far more results and gains than when um, a muscle group was just trained once, even when the volume was matched. So let's say you did six exercises, three to four sets, eight to 12 reps in one uh, training session versus doing three of those exercises on Monday and then three of those exercises on Thursday 
that second approach was far more superior even though you did the exact amount of work. So that's something that we're just gonna get started with and why that's gonna be more superior. Second is that weight training and lifting weights is a skill. Just because we can all do it, it's kind of like running. We all <laughs> automatically assume that just because we have legs and we can move them in that manner that we are automatically able to just run. But as professional runners will tell you and anyone who knows a little bit about running, that's not quite the case at all, right? And quite often, what do we associate with runners, especially like more amateur as people who just do 5-10Ks? injuries like i am primary example of this i was training for a 10k last year and i pretty much ended up with like shin splints because i didn't respect the fact that i should have had my running gait and, uh, analyzed i should have got the right footwear etc 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 so we got to remember that weightlifting is also a skill and the more opportunity we have to practice these movements the better we're going to get and the better opportunity we have to perfect form so let's say we're just going to do bench press once a week on a monday then we miss out on the opportunity of practice that a second time around in the week, right? So versus like, let's say we train 52 weeks in a year and we do bench press 52 times, we have the option of doing bench press 52 times or 104 times. I'm pretty sure after 104 times, we're gonna be far more effective at that exercise and that skill than if we were doing it 52 times. So that's one big benefit of that. The next point I wanted to make here is you have a better opportunity to hit all of your muscle groups. When was the last time you had to skip a workout because of just life came up, right? Imagine you skipped two workouts. Not only are you skipping workouts now, but you're, you're skipping entire body parts. So let's say you miss out on Thursday and Friday or Wednesday and Friday, you've missed your entire leg training for the, the week. You've missed your entire arm training for the week. Whereas if you miss one or two sessions on your um, full body split, next time you come in, you're gonna be hitting those muscle groups, right? So I think this is a big point that people miss. They'll miss those couple of sessions at the end of the week and then they'll go back to the start. They won't then try to catch up or if they do, it just kind of has that cascade effect where it kind of messes up the flow of your workout. So life is gonna come up. You are gonna miss workouts and it's gonna be a pretty tough ask if you are missing out whole whole muscle groups you can probably now see the reason why i don't favor body part splits too much you've got a better opportunity of hitting all of your muscle groups and you're just going to be having a far more favorable time and you probably won't feel a sore either like i don't know about you but anytime i used to do chest I, my chest was sore for the next like four days whereas if you're just doing like a, a little bit of volume when you come around to doing your chest session again you're actually pretty well recovered and after a while you don't actually have that mad soreness as well so that's probably the final benefit is that you're not super sore in those muscle groups all the time so just to give you some recommendations to go off to wrap up here so I would usually aim for a minimum of two to three muscle groups per session, right? Of course, you have the option of total body splits, which are pretty damn effective as well, especially as a beginner. If I had to start off again, I would go straight in at total bodies and I would skip the body part split altogether. I'd probably go for a maximum of two to three exercises. You might have rationale to push it to four, but probably two to three exercises per muscle group in each session. And those are kind of the recommendations I'll wrap up with. 
But finally, opt for frequency versus volume per session, and you're probably going to have a far more favorable time uh, in your training pursuits. And that would apply for both muscle building and fat loss as well. Final question that we're on to now, which is a mindset question. I do like these mindset questions, and today is a good one. Is there any difference in the mindset that you need for prepping yourself for a photo shoot versus just getting beach lean? Great, great, great question. And as always, I need to give you a little bit of context first, as this really, really depends, right? If we scale this back to maybe five, six, even maybe even less frequent, maybe like four or five years ago, traditionally photo shoots were just like for bodybuilders, they were for models, they were for athletes. You know, first and foremost, they were for models and athletes. Then bodybuilders started doing it after their shows in the gym. So yeah, probably maybe six, seven years ago, I can kind of remember it was quite big in the bodybuilder scene. And then personal trainers and coaches came along and did them, right? And now all of a sudden we have clients, general population uh, doing it, which I personally think is amazing. I'm super happy that the industry has kind of lent towards doing this now and it's not unusual for just a regular gym goer or someone who's only been training for X amount of weeks to do a photo shoot. I think that's fantastic. But just to give you that context, you know, it's not very well known at all. And this is very, very new. And when it was just the bodybuilders, the models, or even just the coaches, it was almost like a prerequisite that if you were going to have a photo shoot, you were going to be shredded. You were going to be extremely minimal body fat and you were going to have a decent amount of muscle, right? Because the most part, these bodybuilders, they did them after their competitions or just before their competitions. Like they might have done like a practice peaking session in terms of like getting themselves show ready and they would just take the opportunity to have a photo shoot before or right after, same concept as well. They would take that shoot and then it would be applied to the muscle building magazine, like the Flex magazines, the Men's Health, whatever it was. It was a prerequisite that they were extremely in top, top peak shape. It was kind of like a bit of an unwritten rule that you were in peak condition. But these days, uh, obviously as general population have come in and the desire is not to be like absolutely minimal body fat of you know most general population and most general gym goers are just more than happy with just having some decent visible abs and some decent lines okay so regardless of if you're in peak condition you can now attend a photo shoot which is fantastic but i do want to begin with that caveat so let's discuss someone who's getting to a point where that we're talking about like the traditionally photo shoot lean like damn damn lean so the main difference here is usually you know, between like, if we're looking at like, say beach lean versus photo shoot lean, or maybe even we go one step further in competition lean, it's probably somewhere around two to five kilos towards the end of their fat loss phase. And what we've got to bear in mind that those final kilos are far harder to shed than the initial ones, right? You've already been in a deficit for, I don't know, 12, 14, 16, 18 weeks. And the longer you are in the deficit, the naturally the harder it gets, right? So when you get to this stage, and this is very similar for me as well, my last photo shoot prep, like for the first 12 weeks, like getting from 93 to 83 kilos was, I don't want to call it a breeze, but it was like I'd been doing a muscle building phase for like two to three years. So I was at a point where it was welcomed, you know? The first six weeks, it was actually pleasant to eat less food. And then once I was in the groove of it, the next six weeks was still quite novel. So when I did arrive at like 12, 13 weeks and I dropped 10 kilos or so, like it just felt like a bit of a breeze. 
But then obviously the next stage of that was then to get to the photo shoot point. And quite often the implications, I'm gonna give you my personal experience in just a second because this didn't happen to me quite as much this time around, but it has in the past. So the implications of the final stages and those who have gone through, you know, the back end of the photo shoot prep or a competition prep, you will have low physical energy, right? You'll have heavy legs, uh, your strength may drop in the gym, and you just generally be a bit more lazy. You won't want to get up from the sofa that much. You won't want to, you want to take the lift instead of the stairs. Your just natural desire to do things gets low. Your mood, gets a lot lower, you got get a lot more irritable, uh, libido is reduced as well, you probably have a lot less enjoyment for your training as well, and you're probably quite heightened in terms of your food focus, right? You're very focused on your next meal, you start to smell foods from miles away, and you might, you know, this doesn't happen to everyone, um, and you may just get a few of these, or you may not have any at all, but for the most part, um, especially someone with little experience. So like someone like myself, when I did my first ever competition, which well, I can't remember how old I was now, but it was very early days. Um, I probably experienced all of these to be completely honest, right? And that was in my first show. But in my last shoot prep, I would say I very, very, didn't really experience very many of those whatsoever. I would say a little bit of food focus towards the end maybe. Like I remember smelling food and it smelled absolutely delightful. I would say that I had a little bit less physical energy and probably a little bit more shortness to myself than usual, but it wasn't anything dramatic whatsoever. So those, that's the context that, you know, what the difference is in terms of mindset. So it's likely that you will come across these things, the main difference in mindset is just your ability to withstand the above. It's very much becomes a mental game. You have more inner demons telling you to skip workouts, you know, uh, cut the, the set short. You potentially don't think you are lean as you are. Like your mind just starts to play tricks on you, but you, you just have to keep going essentially. And then of course you go through potentially a peaking process, which I don't want to go into too much detail here, but just a, essentially a process where you manipulate your carbohydrates, your water, and all sorts just to bring yourself to the best possible condition on the day. And when you've put 12 to 24 weeks of effort in already, and stress will largely dictate the look of your physique, that can be something that gets quite apprehensive as well. So you've got that on top of that. So if you're just getting lean, you may not experience any of these, or they'll be a lot less severe. So I do believe you need to be mentally and physically able to withstand you know, a lot more and work through these things. So even though the weight, like the amount of weight you have to lose, the time frame, it might seem quite small. It does come up with a lot of those things and they can be in your, like in your early experiences, if it's like your first photo shoot, your first competition, they can be quite tough. So would I recommend it with all that being said? Only if it intrigues you, right? Only if you fancy taking yourself outside of your comfort zone. As the mental resilience you build, it can be very, very powerful, right? If you harness it, it can be super powerful. When you overcome the inner demons, the internal noise, like you'll find yourself being able to apply that in a lot of different areas of your life, especially when you come out of uh, the photo shoot phase. And obviously you actually wrap up the photo shoot with the cherry on top of the cake, which is the amazing photos, uh, overcoming things that you've never come, be gone through before. It can be a very, very rewarding feeling, but you can also get that same feeling from just 
rocking up to the beach and having a few photos taken on the beach as well. So it really all does come down to the individual and with that context that I started with, it does depend on the level of leanness that you go to. So I hope that answers your question extensively and that is today's podcast which was an enjoyable one as always. If you do have any questions, always feel free to reach out and ask. The best place to reach out to me at the moment is my Instagram page which of course is just Elliot Hassoun, E-L-L-I-O-T-H-A-S-O-O-N. Please just drop me a DM. I'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions. Or if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, send them across. And as I've said before, if they are something that I feel like would be valuable to a lot of people, definitely, definitely going to speak about them. And if you did enjoy the podcast, please, please give it a five-star rating. Subscribe, tell a friend about it. That would be amazing. So thank you so much for listening, guys. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.